we delight in you because you first delighted in us I think even some of us tonight just need to hear that that the the God who hung the stars in the sky and knows the meat by name has thoughts for you that are greater than the sands on the seashore and every one of those thoughts are love every one of those thoughts he has for you really I just any place of shame any place of condemnation right now that's just trying to hold on in the name of Jesus lift it off God we receive from you just because you're good Lord we receive from you because you're kind we receive from you because you first loved us Lord we receive from you because you're better than we can imagine you're better than we can imagine God better, Lord. You're better, Lord. We trust you when we don't understand. Trust you, Lord, when we don't understand. Mm. Thank you, God, for your kindness of your presence right now. Just take a deep breath, Lord. Just breathe in your nearness. We breathe in the acceptance, Lord. We breathe in yes in your heart to love us we breathe in forgiveness cleansing we breathe in the reality that his blood is enough we shed on the cross so we don't have to sacrifice anymore we don't have to earn anything he's just that good God's just that good just say, God, in this room, collectively, wholeheartedly, unified in our heart, we say yes, that we cease striving, we cease trying, we cease working towards something, and we allow you to be God. We allow you to be our God. Thank you, Lord. I just was uh, thinking about. Um, just weird. Can you grab that yeah. light? We, we, when we were talking earlier about uh, vaccines and stuff and, during worship, and I just was thinking about it again, and, and this this prayer came came to mind. I thought I'd just share with you that that, that I've carried for years, um, and Jenny has too. Is Lord, give me an unoffendable heart. Okay, free gift. God, give me an unoffendable heart, because it below. I'm offended with someone's ideas and someone's thoughts actually has to do with, I don't understand how loved I am by God. It actually has more to do with my own value than if I'm right or wrong. If my heart gets offended with someone instead of move towards compassion, if I want to fight for something, then a lot of times it doesn't really have to do with the subject matter. It has more to do with, I'm right, I need value. There's an insignificance place inside that actually... If God will set us free, if we'll know him and his love, then, then um, when people have a different opinion about something for, about us, a different opinion than us about something, we don't have to fight for it. We don't have to try to convince them. 
We don't have to go find the next thing that, and if it's not vaccines, it's something else, right? It's like it started in Cain and Abel back in the day. He was offended because his gift was better than his brother's gift, and so he killed him. We can't kill people with our words and our heart and our attitude of offense. So just a free gift. It's a good thing to pray this week. If you're looking for something to pray, Lord, help my heart be unoffendable. So when someone believes something different about me, it's okay because I love who you are. I don't have to convince you of something I believe or don't believe. Okay? Everyone good with that? Um, hey, is anyone wondering why we don't have this other TV on? Can I tell you what happened? <laughs> oh. It's, I made it better, I think. Let's see. Ian, is this the button right there? Yeah, that's the button. Watch this. Oh. Isn't that amazing? Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so earlier today, Drew and Ian and I were up here setting up and chairs and stuff. Um, and there's these poles right here. <laughs> yeah, you know this is going? There's these great metal poles. And so I laid them down to do something to them. And then they have these huge heavy plates on the bottom. You can't see they're about that big. And so I was standing here. Yeah, that's what I did. And I picked it up and it goes, boom. And one of the poles hit right there. Oh, isn't that sad? Anyways, so there you go. That's called vulnerability, folks. <laughs> so you're welcome. I don't, is it going to turn off? Is that it? Isn't that sad? So I was like, I was like, Drew, can we fix it? He goes, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's going to cost too much money. So, uh, so Andy, if you know, if you know Andy, he's the executive pastor here. And uh, so Ian and Drew had a conversation about what happened and then whose budget and all that. So I'm walking out this afternoon to my truck to go home for a little bit. And I see him outside and he goes, hey, Scott, what happened with the TV thing? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. This film, anyways, accidents happen. It's just an expensive accident. So we'll be passing the hat in a little bit to pay for a new TV if anyone wants to. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, anyway, <laughs> oh boy, um, we're going to be okay. Um, Hey, um, do you have that first slide that can only go up on that screen? Um, the, if, you, if you were here last month, um, we talked a lot about simplifying the journey. Actually, funny enough, um, there was kind of what, what we talked about was simplifying the journey. And then at the end, there's a couple prophetic words, things we feel like God was saying. And a couple people come up to me and goes, I don't remember what you were saying, Scott. But man, God touched me. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't care. It's great. I want God to minister to us. So. Um, I just want to remind us, this is where we're going this year. If, if you're like, hey, where young adults, what God's doing, this is what we're after. So life gets really complex when we both, when we get over busy. Life gets really complex feeling and out of control when we start realizing our own places of pain or struggle. Life gets complex when we're like in the middle of, I need a new job, I can't pay my bills. Life feels out of control a lot. Anyone relate with that? Yeah, please. Okay, I'm not the only one, please. Um, and this is something I feel like God's kind of put in my heart for us as we journey this year, as we're going to be seeing this more, is that we're created for adoration. If you remember last month when we talked about it, adoration is just, my, my life is yours. I'm created to know him, to love him, and to be known by him. That is our first foremost thing. It's, it's like in heaven, if we know Jesus, we're going to do it the rest of our life anyways, or that life into eternity. So why not get used to it here in planet. So if we can live life with that simple focus of, God, I want to know you more today than yesterday. But I want to love you more today than yesterday. God, I actually feel like I'm striving. Would you love me back? 
the day. You roll out of bed and you're like, oh, the wheels get cranking. We have two hamsters, actually one. One just died. It was such a sad moment of family. Sorry, it's true. My, our oldest, they're in Maya in Kinley's room, and Maya called me up. This is like last week. She goes, hey, Dad, I think the hamster's dying. So I went up, and he's like laying there kind of like, oh it was so sad. But we buried him. He's going to be fine. He's going to fertilize our garden. Um, anyways, how did I talk about a hamster? Where did I get there? How in the world did I get to a dead hamster? It was cranking. It was cranking. So these hamsters, they're nocturnal. And they get up, they get up when it's like bedtime, saying goodnight to Naya, and they're like, Maya, and they're like on their wheel, and they're like, and their feet are just going like a thousand miles an hour. You ever wake up and you feel that way? No? Oh. I don't know about that, Luke. Uh, I do. There's days like that. So I feel like God's wanting to teach us as a community that this journey is simple. We're created to love him. And out of our love and adoration for him, we're created for transformation. It's kind of blurry. Is that my glasses? Can you guys read that? That's blurry. Oh, boy. Um, so transformation and commission. Is it Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he's still up to that, and he actually has saved us in order to bring about his transferring power to people around us. He actually wants that for us. But if you're like me, that word can feel like another heavy sermon. And that's not what it's about. It's about walking with God. And that's why these this adventures with God, these trips overseas, that's my heart desire. And I've been telling the team leaders on the ground, it's just help us walk with God overseas. Don't make it complex. If we try to be professional missionaries, if you go on a trip, it, it doesn't work. And you come back and you're just the same as you were when you left. But if we just walk with God, we're going to be okay. So transformation and commission. Transformation, we talked about last month, had more to do with... Um, um, when we get into this stage of life, post-college, into the 30s and career and all that stuff, we can start to realize I'm not as okay as I thought I was. My family of origin isn't that great. Uh, why do I have problems that I don't, can't get rid of? Why is anxiety there? That kind of thing. Can you remember with that? Okay. So Jesus is able to transform us. But if we become, that becomes our God and our place of worship, I got to keep going to places to be changed so the pain goes away we'll actually never be free. But if we're like, I can't fix that. You're my transformer. I'm going to love you, Jesus, wholeheartedly. Somehow, I just, I've walked a lot of life. I can just promise it goes away. The pain disappears. It's not as distracting. So that's where we're going this year. Okay, so I have more of these cards that are over on the table over there, and there's some over there. So grab one if you didn't. Give it to a friend. Hang it up on your mirror. Put it by your bedside table. And when life feels like you're that hamster in the wheel, just go, Lord, I just want to love you more. God, teach me that life's more simple than I realize. Okay? All right. So um, tonight, we're going to have, um, I, I, last couple weeks, I feel like God was wanting us to dive into a certain subject that's, that's uh, probably not super familiar. If you've been a part of church much, you probably never heard anyone talk about this. Um, and, and it's a bit... Uh, nebulous feeling. And so um, I was just trying to think of um, how, how I'm going to approach this. Uh, I grew up in Alaska. Is anyone familiar with like seismology, the ring of fire? You know what that is? Okay. So tell us, Luke, tell us what the ring of fire is. Or someone else. You shook your heads. So I didn't know. Okay. Stone, help us out. What's the ring of fire? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
this cross-globe experience on the western coast of America, not the Pacific coast, but the west coast, not not the Gulf of Mexico. It is a basically a line of communities where we trying to correct you about something. I don't know, but that was awesome. She's like, uh, Stone, can I say something about this? I know more than you. Um, yeah, so the Ring of Fire is if you picture the Pacific Ocean, it's the Pacific Ocean, like the landmass up against the Pacific Ocean. So growing up in Alaska, earthquakes were part of our life. So you guys probably had uh, fire drills. My girls in school now actually have active shooter drills. So sad. So sad that part of their life, but I'm glad they practice. Um, I actually had earthquake drills. Anyone else have earthquake drills? In, really? Where'd you grow up? California. Okay, I thought it was unique and special, but I guess not. Uh, so I'm just one of many. Anyways, so, so I grew up with earthquake drills. And, and because the ring of fire, earthquakes, volcanoes, is just part of that landmass, Asia, up through Alaska, and down the, east, down the west coast. Okay? So when, when uh, an earthquake happened... Um, what they would usually do is you'd see on the news and say it was a 5.3 on the Richter scale or whatever. And what they do is they triangulate where it came from and they can pinpoint exactly where that came from because they have all these different um, like equipment all along the ring of fire. And so they all pick up the shaking and they all start saying, oh, it came from here, it came from there. And they, they go, oh, this is where the earthquake happened. Okay, does that make sense? So we're going to talk about shame tonight. And what I'm going to try to do is because probably it's probably that's a, a subject you're like, oh, what does that mean exactly? You know, um, so what I'm going to try to do is do that. I'm going to come into different angles and then we're going to look at how Jesus handled shame. And my hope is tonight we get to the end and responding to God and we go, oh, I didn't even know that motivated me like it does. So I believe in this room, it's probably one of the most influential parts of our thinking that we don't even realize. I believe across the globe, shame is probably one of the more influential things that's destroying people's lives. Shame keeps us attached to sin. You know that? Okay, yes, good, awesome. Shame keeps us attached to sin. It's not that it is that we like sin, but it's, and it's like, God, I want to love you. I want to be free, but shame keeps us bound to that. Okay, so I'm going to try to triangulate this. Okay, so let's start with sin. Help me with the definition of sin. What is sin? Something separation of God. Yeah. Okay. What else? Missing the mark. Right. Yeah. Other thoughts? Sin. Submitting God. Okay. Um, I want to submit that whether you know Jesus in here or you don't, whether your coworkers know Jesus or not, everyone has, have, all of us has a moral compass. All, none of us want to go out and be like, murders or something, you know, <laughs> there, there's, there, none of us want to go out and do something. Now, the, the moral gauge distances itself from us because when we start to, when, whether we know Jesus or not, when we start to say, I did that and I feel bad enough about it. And so it's not that bad. I'll just kind of distance myself from that. That moral compass gets stretched wide because of shame. So we know Jesus. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, you live inside of us to help us walk in freedom. Okay. But shame is the other side of that. So, um, Romans 3.23, who knows that? Oh, yeah, no, no. 
Give me. Romans 3, 2, 3. Sherry, you got it. Okay, you could do it together, duet. Great, that was awesome. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's sin. Sin is like, I just fell short of his, oh, there it is. Look at that. Did you cheat and read that? You knew it. Way to go. That's amazing. Yay, good job. Um, so that's sin. So what, how can we define shame? Anyone have any idea? How do we define shame? And hint, hint, I actually have a few different definitions coming, but I just want to start there of, to get us thinking about it. How do we find shame? Andy is? On yourself? Other ideas? Here, here's a thought. This is thank you, Webster's, for this one. I kind of tweaked it a little bit, but it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by, an, by the awareness of wrong and foolish behaviors. Let me say it again. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress that ca- is caused by an awareness of wrong or foolish behavior. So the wrong and foolish behavior we could call sin, and there's a connectedness that says, now I feel bad for what I did. We all get that? Okay? So that's shame. It's that connectedness. So I would like to say that uh, where we have sin in life, we have, uh, it's like it's evil silent cousin is shame. One is always going to follow the other. Always. Sin's obvious to us. And we have choices to obey or not obey, to walk in community so we're known so we can walk in freedom. Shame is probably not near as familiar to us because it's internal, okay? Um, so I would like to ask if, if in, in what part of your brain you're like, ah, I don't deal with shame, you probably do. <laughs> I do too, so don't worry, it's okay. Um, it, it's like when I busted that, that, uh, that TV and I walked out and I saw Andy for just a second. I'm like, I'm going to go the other way. Like I just, that was shame. I just felt bad, you know, of like it was an accident, but I just felt bad. It motivated me and I had to make a choice to look him in the eyes and say, Hey, I messed up. It was my fault. And I'm really sorry. He could have said, he actually did jokingly goes, I'm going to take out of your paycheck. <laughs> I was like, well, ah, can we talk about that? Um, um, <laughs> So there's, there's a few different people that you might be familiar with. Um, Carolyn Leaf, um, Brene Brown, uh, two people. Brene Brown's awesome. She just, she's a shame researcher is what she says. So she did a TED Talk several years back before she knew Jesus, and it's incredible. Has anyone heard that? I've listened to it multiple times. Listen to it. Check it out. Brene Brown, okay? Um, and it's, it's just super helpful and insightful. But she started looking at people's lives and realized there's this thing that motivate people away from others, and it has to do with shame. And so she starts to label and define it based upon research, and now my understanding is she knows Jesus. Um, um, But we got a quote from her. Drew, can you throw it up there? This is how she defines shame. An intensely painful feeling or experience, so there it is, it's a feeling inside, of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's a feeling that leads to a belief. And what does that belief do? It distances me from other people. I am bad and I'm a mess. The focus is on self and not behavior. With the result that we feel alone, shame is never known to lead us towards positive change. Okay, that's a whole lot of words there, but you guys kind of get the gist of it. Shame is a feeling it's hidden inside of us. It leads us away from people. It leads to isolation, and it's based upon a belief system, I'm bad or I'm a mess. Because if I believe I'm defined by my choices, 
instead of by his work on the cross, then I'm always going to try to outrun those choices and actually never get free. Most of the time, because it becomes my effort. Okay. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Remember the cross-reference thing for the earthquake? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give us a bunch of metaphors that point out what shame is. Okay. So just bear with me and try to go, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. We see it. Because I want us, again, I, I, I want us to get inside to go, Lord, I want to be free. God, this influences me. How do I change? That's where I'm after. Lord, we want to engage with the living God. Okay. So here's one. Imagine if you cut your arm and so you have a wound and you put ointment on it or TAO or something on it so it doesn't get infected and you put a Band-Aid on it. If you leave the Band-Aid on there for a week or two weeks, what happens to the wound? What's that? It gets gross. That's <laughs> nauseating, actually. <laughs> hey, there's one word in the, that I hate the most, moist. Does anyone else hate the word moist? Oh, sorry. I don't like that word. Um, so, so what, sorry, back on track. You put a Band-Aid on the head. Does the wound ever heal? Never does. Okay. So I'd like to say metaphorically, the wound would be like a sin. And the lack it never heals is like shame. It just always keeps us reminded of what we've done. Okay. If that TV was hung up for the next two years and people turn it on periodically when I walk through the room, that'd be like shame. Be like, oh, I did it. Yeah, again, just feeling bad. Okay. Here's another one. Um, Imagine you're on the playground and you're climbing the jungle gym and you're playing, but you kick one of your classmates off and they fall on the ground, they cry and you get down and you help them up and you go, Hey, I'm really sorry. And you clean them off and then they go back to playing. But that classmate that saw it at a distance runs off and tells the teacher, Hey, I just saw them kick the classmate off the ground. They're crying and the teacher comes and you get in trouble. The action was the sin, so to speak. That classmate that's going to tattle on us, and misses the transformation is like shame. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so here's another one. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, uh, I was taught when you're getting up on a highway, you, you accelerate to the speed that the cars are moving, right? Yeah, pretty simple. So I'm accelerating. I'm looking over my shoulder. I see this, this in front of me is like this VW van that was super cool, like a camper van. And I see it, this is Alaska, so those things are around. And I see the van, and I'm accelerating. I look over my shoulder to where I'm going to merge in, and I look back, and the van stopped. He never went in. And so I slam on, no, actually, I don't think slam my brakes. I jerked over into the, um, into the next lane, and I hit a car. And both of us slowed down and pulled over so there wasn't a big wreck. We pulled over in front of the van. That van, so I'm just like trauma, shock, right? That van drives past me, slows down, looks at me, and flicks me off and drives off. Yeah. So the action is the wreck. What's shame? That moment where that person flicked me off, like I did something horrible. They didn't stop. They didn't offer for help. That's shame. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Another one would be, another example would be, um, you ever taken a shower and someone flushes the toilet? You know that moment where like cold water rushes in? Yeah, and then it slowly gets warm again? That sting of the cold water mixed with the hot water back on your body, it's kind of like shame a little bit. The moment of shock is there, but then the leftover feelings is, oh, who just flushed the toilet? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's happened in my household a few times, unfortunately, and I've been the source. Um, 
Here, here's another one. And this is relevant, I think, because we probably heard the word, heard about Chernobyl because of what's happening in Ukraine right now. Um, but Chernobyl was a nuclear disaster that happened in 1986. And it blew up and it shot nuclear waste, it got in the airstream and shot it all over the world. Um, and so scientists and people come in and they, they, uh, they blocked off, I think it's like a hundred mile radius or something like that, where they said no humans can go in here for forever because the, the nuclear waste settled down and into the soil and then the rain comes and then it gets deeper in the soil and it becomes part of the nutrients, but it's destructive. So the sin would be like the nuclear explosion. The shame would be like, you're never going to forget what happened. You can't go back in. It's a beautiful place. I've seen pictures. It's gorgeous trees and all that stuff, but it's tainted. Shame tells me you made a mess and you'll never change. That, that choice lingers in your life. Okay. Is this making sense? You connecting this? Okay, we got a couple more. We actually had 12 of them. Um, here's shame. Um, uh, here's another one from, of my life. Um, we live next to, on baseline, uh, off baseline, um, and uh, in Dobson Ranch area, and there's a little block where there's a, where there's a school, and they have a school zone, and they take pictures if you're speeding. Yeah, you know where this is going. <laughs> so I'm driving, it's 35, and I'm driving down last summer, and I'm just blipping out. We just moved here. I was just foggy-brained, and I'm driving, and I'm going 50, 47, and all of a sudden, as I drive by, I see the flash. Anyone else had this flash? Oh. So I just want to say I was wrong. I was speeding. I have no problem with laws, period. The shame was when I got the bill, and it said 300 bucks for going 47, and I was like, yeah, you're right, Okay. But then I realized I can do defensive driving. So the shame was how many hours of painful de defensive driving reminding me that I made a mistake one time. Anyone else had that experience? Uh, how many hours is defensive driving? You know, Danny. Did you? Okay. <laughs> but mine was like, it was like a funny one. Like I thought this would be funny. And it was like from the 80s. It was so painful and I already paid for it. It was terrible. So shame, so that's the problem. I, I was speeding. Yes, I got it. Shame is, I'll never let you forget for hours of painful instruction, okay? Um, shame is when you wake up in the morning and the first thought in your mind is, you remember that thing you did yesterday? You should probably repent again and again and again and again and again. That's shame. That thought that goes through our head, because remember the, the, the definition is it's actually internal. Okay. Um, so I would like to say that shame, sin would be like a blanket that distorts our view, oh, that blocks our view, and shame would be like a veil. Once the blanket's lifted, we repent. Jesus' blood has freed me. He's forgiven me. He's empowered me to walk free. And the veil in front now distorts my view and causes me not to see people rightly. That's shame. Okay? All right. Here we go. Um, so looking at the fruit of shame real quick. The fruit of shame pulls me away from relationship. I, because why? If people really knew who I was or what I've done, they wouldn't love me. Shame is a, dis, is a separation from connectedness. Shame actually pulls me away. Okay, so I was talking to someone recently um, and um, and. And just in conversation, I realized they, they're so scared to approach God. They go to church, they do God things, they, but th as far as like intimacy, 
because of their past, they have so much shame of what they have done, even though they repented, that they think God's going to be mad at them if they turn towards him. Anyone else relate with that one? Okay. So our past will always keep us connected. Think about like a bungee cord that's connected to your belt loop. It can't ever quite get away. That's shame. Okay. So, so often we can repent for our choices And then I think actually it's not a clean repentance. We're going to talk about what repentance looks like in a minute. But shame keeps us bound. It tells us I'm not lovable. Um, It tells us I'm not worthy of true connectedness. You ever gone to life group and you're like, if they really knew who I was, I don't know if they'd like me anymore. You ever had that thought? That's shame speaking. This is not God. It's shame. So, Again, we're trying to coordinate here. So the source of shame is a voice inside. So just a quick biblical reference. If you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so he's the one that leads us in all truth. He's the one that gives us the love of God. He speaks the heart of God. He's the one when we read the word of God, it comes alive to us because the spirit of God instructs us. There's three other voices the Bible talks about. One of them is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? So the world is, you ever looked at Instagram? And you're like, oh, my muscles aren't as big as that guy's. I should hit the weights. Or, oh, I'm not as pretty as that girl. You ever had that thought? Okay, you ever gone to class and you see other people's grades and you're like, oh, I'm not as smart as them. Okay, the world is trying to steal our affections and our attention. The world is instructing us differently. And that voice can be a voice of shame inside. Okay, that's the world. The flesh is just our carnal desires. It's just we all have them. And Jesus is redeeming them, but it's that I really want that. It's selfishness-driven kind of life. And the devil is that there really is a demonic force in the world. And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And their native tongue is lying. And so that thought that goes through our brain, sometimes we need to be able to go, mm, it's not from God. Okay? So, so a little helpful hint. Not all thoughts that bounce through our brains is actually from God, and we probably shouldn't accept them all. Okay? Here's, here's the mantra that, that I live by. Um, I try to live by. Uh, if there's any thought that goes through my brain that God isn't in heaven, isn't thinking about this person, then I don't entertain it. So that accusation thought that, am I really love that you go in a room and you're like, oh, look at that person. They're talking to them <laughs> kind of thing that distant. Well, if you look at the fruit of that thought, we can go, oh, that's not from God. That pulls me away and so draws me near. Okay. So the thoughts that go through our brain it's important to be able to go, Lord, what's, is this in your mind about that person or the situation about who you are? And if it's not, we just say no in Jesus' name. It's really that simple. No, in Jesus' name. I don't accept that thought. Lord, what are you thinking about this person right now? Because I want to judge them. Because I want to feel insignificant. Because I want to be right. Okay? All right. So um, the two things that, that shame says, and Bree's going to come up here and help us with this for a second. The... the <laughs> She, she knew this was coming, but um, shame says, shame says what? What is Brene Brown? Brene Brown talks about how shame says, I am bad. I am a mess. Um, so now you want me to? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so shame says I'm not enough or I'm too much. Yeah. I'm yeah. not enough or I'm too much. So my, um, uh, my core belief has been that I am not enough all of my life. Some of you may, that res- may resonate with you. 
since I was 15 years old, this has been something that I'm constantly striving for. Like, okay, well, if I do this, then I'll be enough. If I do this, I'll be enough. If I do this, I'll be enough. If I make really good grades, if I go to college, if I get my master's degree, if I am the best person that whatever, always striving. This constant like, okay, if I'm just this, maybe then I'll be enough. And it separates, right? It separates us in our brains of like, if I'm constantly striving to be enough, then that separates me because I don't believe I have love and belonging because there's shame wrapped in that belief. This constant belief of, but what if I never am enough? What then? And um, this past weekend, I went to San Diego um, because the beach is where I commune with God the best. And so I was like, okay, God, I'm going to be done with my MBA capstone class. I need you. I need Jesus. I need to sit on the beach and just hear you. And okay, for 15 years, I've been trying to believe that maybe if I do this, then I'm enough. And I, um, I wake up on Saturday morning and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my favorite, I'm going to go to my favorite cafe. I'm going to get my Mexican mocha. Boom. And I'm going to sit there and read my book and talk to Jesus. And I go and I sit down and I order my coffee and the waitress brings it over and she goes, um, she goes, oh, you like this drink? And I was like, yeah, this is my favorite one. Normally I get two because I like them so much. And she goes, wait, (laughs) I remember you. And I was like, wait, what? I love this place, by the way. And the last time I went was last October. And this girl looks at me and I had prayed before this trip and I said, Lord, I want you to speak to me in a way that changes how I see myself. And, and she, she, she tells me, she's like, yeah, I remember your order. Like you wrote me this really sweet note on this receipt. And I was like, I did. I did not remember that. sounds like something I would do. (laughs) Did not remember it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Totally remembered her. We chatted. I went to the beach and I sat with the Lord and I started crying because I realized that in that moment, (laughs) In that moment, I believed that I was seen by God fully for who I am. And if I am, if I know that I am seen by God fully, then I am enough. And so a lie that I've believed for 15 years that has kept me from knowing the heart of God in a completely different way was changed because I chose to walk that road of, I just want to know that I'm enough. Lord. Yeah. Thanks. So, so pray with me. So, in, you guys, lay your hands on it real quick. So, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to f- finish the work in Bree's life. Right now, God. Right now, that she would know she's enough because you're enough in her. Lord, and from that place, you'd liberate her to live free. Never alone, it, Lord, would never be a, a mantra that motivates her and to help her, causes her to make choices away from you, Lord. It's revelation, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in her. God, and let it overflow in all of us. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to get to the Bible here in a second, in case you're wondering. Um, so, shame says what? Shame says I'm never enough or I'm too much. 
don't know about you, but for me, in different social settings, I sometimes wonder if I'm too much and sometimes wonder if I'm never enough. I just, so I kind of am guilty of both. Uh, but so probably are all of us in different situations. But the point I want us to hear when Bree shares that is, is that Bree is a, there's self-awareness and then she goes to God and say, Lord, I need to be changed. And living normal life and unexpectedly, God says, look, I see you. Look at how you impacted this life back in October. Hey, I want us to hear that, that that Brie didn't say, oh, well, I'm, just, I'm just never enough. I'm going to keep on working hard and keep striving. And one day I'll reach that because I got something in my heart I can't change. Brie said, God, you got to set me free. And from that, God's love and honor, and he's speaking to her because she's able to vulnerably say, here's our man. I need help. So um, the, the remedy for shame is shame has so much to do with relationship. Shame is what separates our relationship. Remedy for shame is two sides. It's one, that how can I receive from other people and how can I give to other people? So the receiving part is to talk to someone and go, here's where I'm at. And inside our hearts are going, are you still going to love me? Are you still going to want to have coffee with me? Are you still going to, am I going to be okay? Here's where I'm really at. The other side of it is what can I give? And that's vulnerability. That's sitting down with someone and going, you know what? I'm not okay. I just need someone to know that. And I was talking to a couple guys recently, this one guy, and he's just having a real battle with anxiety and just going through it. It's rough and it's, God's doing a deep work inside of him. And um, so we were talking and it was in a kind of group setting. And then this other guy comes up that's in his life group and he's listening and he, he leaned in to listen. And this guy was like, oh, he's being vulnerable. He's sharing his weakness. And for, especially for a man, it's super hard because we got to look the part. We got to be strong. And the reality is we're just human and we're broken and we need a savior and we need to be loved. So he's sharing that with me. This other guy walks up and I thought, oh, he's going to shut down because he's got to save face. And he didn't. He turned to the other guy because this guy's in his life group and he knows him. And he goes, I'm struggling with anxiety. Can you pray for me? And then I go, hey, you guys should. And the other guy goes, sure, I'll pray. And he goes, no way. Like, I've totally been struggling too. And they had no idea that each other were struggling. What if they knew that and they said, let's fight in the spirit together to be free? Shame keeps distance and says, my sin is my sin and no one else struggles. Vulnerability says, I'm not okay will you love me? So a challenge for us today, I want to challenge us. Where are you not vulnerable? Is there any place you're wearing a mask? Is there any place where God's saying, that, I want you to be free. I want to challenge you this week. Find someone that's walking with Jesus, that you can trust, and say, I'm not okay. And I just need you to know that. And here's how I need some help. If you're the receiver of that conversation, don't give them all the answers and pull out the Bible and read five verses of how they should change. God will do that. You be a friend. You be a friend. Okay? And in the middle of the conversation, this is my journey. As I'm listening and I'm leaning in and I'm going, I don't want the platitudes. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's a stressful time of life. I don't want platitudes. It doesn't change anyone. I want to lean in and I want to say, I'm so sorry this is hard for you. And ask a follow-up question. Tell me more about it. I'm not trying to find a source to fix people. I'm just saying, tell me more. Unpack. I'm leaning towards vulnerability because as we expose the sins, we expose the struggle, we get more free. So my point, my place in that is I love you and I'm with you and I lean close. And I want to say, how can I help you walk this through? So for those two guys, 
they're talking. They're like, no way, you too. They're like, no way, you too. And I said, hey, you guys should start like a text group. And when it starts to flare up, because I know you both want to be free, I said, what if you text each other and say, hey, just pray. I'm not okay right now. And they're like, is it okay? <laughs> because they're so used to living and wearing a mask. And instead they went, I'm trying to lead them towards vulnerability because out of vulnerability, we get set free. Okay. All right. So um, let's look at, uh, you got your Bibles? We're going to look at one set of verses real quick because I want to talk about repentance for a minute. And then uh, we're going to look at how Jesus handled shame. Okay. So 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. I think we got it on the one screen that works. There it is. But feel free to read between the Bible in the word. Ready? Verse eight. You guys there? Okay. Even if I, oh, sorry, real quick. This is Paul, second Corinthians. So first Corinthians, he wrote the letter to the Corinthian church. And he's like, I love you. I'm with you. And he's like, he worships Jesus. And it's so fun to see his love for Jesus. And then he says, and then he's like, has some correction for them. So this is the follow-up letter saying, hey, I hurt you. And this is his response. Okay. So the, the fatherly kind of correction initially to say, hey, this, these things in your life aren't okay. And now he's like, I heard you, I hurt you. And so this is where he picks up. So even if I caused you sorrow um, by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Verse 9, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because that your sorrow led to repentance. It's beautiful. There's another place in the Bible that talks about our conscience being seared. When we ignore the Holy Spirit's correction, going, hey, don't do that. Our conscience gets seared. And then we start thinking that sin pattern is okay. This is the right response. Lord, I'm really sorry. God, I can't change myself. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, But because your sorrow led to repentance, for you became uh, sorrowful as God intended. And so... Uh, and so we were not harmed. I'm sorry. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Verse 10, godly sorrow that brings repentance that leads to salvation leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See that, see that this godly sorrow has produced in you. This is the fruit of godly sorrow, godly repentance. Earnestness, um, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, but readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proven yourselves to be innocent of this matter. Okay? So let's roll back here. I just wanted verse 10. Godly sorrow that brings repentance that leads to salvation leaves no regret. You guys see shame in there? Okay. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> Laura said no. Okay. We got it. It's okay. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So um, I just, what would be? I just kicked the dog. Okay. No, no, here's one. No, no, I'm not going to say that. When the hamster died, I actually wanted to make a joke. And then I realized Maya was really sad. So I didn't make the joke about the hamster. So that would have been a bad choice. (laughs) That was going to be my bad example, but uh, we'll keep. So godly sorrow that um, for you, let's see, where were we? (laughs) Sorry. Oh boy. Uh, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. So godly sorrow that brings repentance. So repentance is, God, I messed up and I agree with you that sin. And from that, I choose to receive your forgiveness. Repentance. Okay? And then the next verse, it actually talks. It's beautiful about what does repentance look like. And then it says, and it leaves no regret. That's shame being broken. 
Shame says, so we can repent. God, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. And then we keep saying, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. Anyone done that? Anyone been there? That's actually not godly repentance. Godly repentance is that we actually lean into an empty cross that's been emptied and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection set me free. And so I can be forgiven the first time. So years back, several years ago, I remember kind of, I forget what I, you know, something. And I was in college actually. And I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I'm going to bed. And I start thinking about whatever. I don't know what it was I did. God, I'm so sorry. And then the next morning, God, I'm so sorry. And, and, and I remember, I like said, I'm sorry, like 5,000 times. And then I'm, I remember hearing his whisper and he says, God, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, Lord, Lord remember this? And he goes, no, I don't. And I felt like he said, because as far as the East is from the West, you guys know this in Psalms? So have removed your transgressions from you. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the reality of the cross that forgives me from everything I feel bad about. It's not cheap grace, it's full grace. Because it leads me to not want to do it again because I see him, okay? Godly sorrow, it leaves no regret. Regret is that voice of shame. I'm keeping you attached because you know what you did. You see that? Okay, um, so we're going to look at two examples of how Jesus responded to shame. The first one is, we actually have a little video clip. Drew, do we have that? Okay, um, the, the, uh, is anyone familiar with the Matthew videos came out a handful of years ago? No? It's a beautiful depiction of Jesus. It's, he's joyful, he's engaged, it's amazing. It's a little old, it's not like 4K, cool, beautiful. <laughs> but I just want to show us this clip. This is about um, the woman caught in adultery. So I want us to see this clip, if we can, for a second. And it gives us a picture. So look for, where's the sin? How did Jesus respond to the sin? And did he speak to shame in any way? Because Jesus was familiar that her choices are going to, that shame's going to keep her attached and going back to that sin pattern. Okay, we got that, Drew? <laughs> Do we need to turn the lights? Okay, here we go. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. What do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground.
When they heard this, they all left, one by one. The older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. You see that? So what was the sin? What was the sin? It's caught in adultery. Okay. What did Jesus? How did Jesus respond to her with her sin? How did he respond? He gave her forgiveness, right? And did you see when he pulled close and looked her in the eyes and he said, "Who condemns you?" He's speaking to shame, not to sin. Because shame and condemnation are the same thing. He looks her in the eyes. You see, she's beautiful. He looks her in the eyes and he goes, because everyone says she's dirty. And he goes, I'm coming close. And he looks her in the eyes and he says, hey, no one's around to condemn you. And he goes, neither do I. And now those two things are married. The forgiveness of Jesus and the freedom from shame. And then he said what? What was the instructions? No one said no more. You want freedom from patterns of sin in your life? Let's go after shame. Instead of, we got to work hard at overcome stuff. Let's go after shame. Okay? The other thing I just want us to look at really fast uh, is Luke 15. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, um, I, I think it's important as we just wrap up here is... is uh, if you're familiar with the story, it's the father and there's two sons and he had some wealth and the younger son said, hey, give me your, my money. I want to go and, and, and spend it how I want. He's basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance. Dad says, here you go. He goes off to a distant land and he wastes the money. He has friends around him only as long as the money listed. And he, and he wastes the money on sinful lifestyle and stuff that is, is not what God's best. And Jesus telling this parable is for application in our lives. And the son goes and he works at a pig farm and he's eating the slop. And then he says, the Bible says he came to his senses. And he goes, even my father's servants have more than what I have right now. And so he walks to the father. Okay, verse 20. This is God's, this is God's thoughts for us. <laughs> this, is, this is the heart of God. And so the son, he, he got up and he went to his father. But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
Verse 21, and the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, 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 bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And so a son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Okay. When I picture that, I picture this father. He's got, I, I went to Afghanistan for, for a short period of time. Remember, they, they all wore these, it felt like sheets. But we went to like the local bazaar and we had one made and it was this long kind of uh, outfit. And back then they probably wore that same kind of thing to keep them cool. And I picture this father who's up in years, who has servants around him, who has a reputation to behold. And he looks down the road and he sees his son. And he goes, oh, it's my son. Every day I've been waiting. And I picture he pulls up his robe so he can run faster. And he runs and he embraces his son. You see, the son had sin in his life, but he had shame that said, Father, I don't deserve to be here anymore, but I just need help. And the father covered not only his sin, but his shame. And he actually honored him, his son, and, and all of his people that were there. He said, we're going to celebrate this boy's back. And probably for some of us tonight, as we're talking about either sin patterns, we're talking about shame, is I hope that it, it, it starts to make sense a little bit more. I'm hoping to kind of lift the veil for us. But what I more hope than anything is that, that as we respond to him, we see a father who pulls up that robe and runs fast down the road. And when we make choices that we regret, we don't pull away from him and pull away from relationship. We actually pull towards him like Bree's talking about. And we just say, God, I need your help. I can't change myself. In that place, shame is broken because we have a father that looks in our eyes, says, I choose you the way you are. Now let's be free. Okay. Um, I remember in college, I was in the middle of uh, this, this college group, and it was three or 400 students, and God was doing it. It was just a revival. It was crazy fun. God was doing. We'd show up our weekly uh, college service. And I remember we'd show up and it was like three, four hours. And we're like, we, we shaped our life around this and um, around these weekly times because we're like, God's going to do something every time he's changing lives. People are being saved and meeting Jesus and being transformed. And, and I remember this one time. So, so most, most uh, Saturday nights, people, there's baptisms. And it was like, if you were baptism service a few weeks ago, people were celebrating. It's that same way. People are being baptized. And my friend, Mike, baptized, was baptizing this guy this week. And this kid, he met on the street uh, a couple weeks previous, and he felt like God said to go up and talk to this kid. Turned out this kid was in a gang and had a conversation, got to know his name, and said, hey, I just feel like Jesus wants you to know he loves you, and everything you've done in the past can be forgiven. And this kid on the spot says, I, I need that Jesus. So that night, Mike's baptizing this kid. He's up front, baptizing him. He goes under, he comes back, and everyone celebrates. Yay! It's awesome. And then as every other baptism happened, it got quiet and Mike's going to pray over him. And as it got quiet, we heard from the back, we heard a man's voice. Because this is a room full of college students. A man's voice that said, my son is dead, but now he's alive. My son is dead, but now he's alive over and over again. And it was silent and it was so beautiful. And then this grown man starts to weep, cry because his son had been rescued. And Mike prayed over him. And that man went and he took a big bear hug of this kid. And what had happened was his son left home 
years previous and had rejected everything that dad had given him to live on the streets, to live gang life, all that stuff. And now the dad's saying he's back. Right? So my guess is in this room that probably there's two. There's, if you're here and you're like, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about, tonight you can. It's as simple as saying, God, I come to you. The other side is probably in this room as we talk about shame. I hope it's making a little more sense. And my hope is Holy Spirit's at work to go, yeah, there it is. I've been listening to that lie a lot. And this is the moment to say, Lord, would you set me free? This is the moment to say, God, would you set me free in such a way that this doesn't actually dictate how I live and how I believe? Okay, so Bree's going to come up in the band. And, um, if we just got a couple more minutes, I want us to respond to the Lord in this, okay? All right, why don't everyone stand up? All right, so Lord, we love you. And God, we ask you to lift the veil right now of shame in our lives. And we bring, uh, we bring, even just for in this room, if you're like, yeah, I recognize that I just am in this pattern of sin. And if someone really knew, they wouldn't like me or they would reject me. If, you, if you're carrying that fear, God wants to set you free tonight. And it doesn't have to do with you working harder. It has to do with you looking at him. And the other one is just with shame. If you're starting to go, oh, yeah, that, that voice dictates a lot of what I believe and how I live. So as we sing this song and they just lead us in a, a little bit of time here to wrap up, I don't want to miss a chance to respond to him. So however that looks for you, if you want to come forward and get on your knees, if you want to stay where you're at, but just respond to him, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we love you. And we give you full permission right now. Full permission. Full liberty, God to know us and to be known by us, Lord. We ask that tonight that we would be changed. Tonight you come and care for us. You'd look us in the eyes like the woman caught in adultery and you just say, I, I see you and I know you and I choose you. Lord, speak to our hearts. We just silence the voice of shame in the name of Jesus so that you can speak well and clearly, God.